Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the New Statesman podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Helen Lewis, and this week I talked to Stephen Bush and John Ellidge about tube strikes and capitalism, and then we reconvene with a new Shikalian joining us to talk about the latest on the Labour leadership. Well, you're very lucky to be able to listen to the New Statesman podcast today because London is in the grip of a tube strike. I'm joined by John Ellidge, editor of City Metric, and Stephen Bush, our Staggers editor, to talk about, well, tubes and, and capitalism, really. Um, Stephen, first of all, you wrote a piece saying if you don't understand the tube strike, you don't understand capitalism. Why is that? The thing is, is basically you have a group of people who have a monopoly who are therefore behaving in a selfish way to maintain their monopoly and get as much money out of their monopoly as possible, which is the theory of the profit motive. That, that is how it works. Some people then seem to go, well, no, this isn't capitalism. And they go, no, no, what you mean is this isn't a free market. But capitalism doesn't trend towards a free market. If I am a successful newspaper owner, for, exa- for example, in a free market, I just buy all of my rivals. And eventually I have a monopoly. It's, it's only outside of... Um, it, it's only when you have some form of regulation to prevent that happening that you get... You don't get monopolies eventually. You, know, you see that on the internet, definitely, don't you? Internet trending, particularly things like social networks. And not maybe not monopolies, but oligopolies. So yeah. you have one or two really big players that dominate a market. And because of the you know, um, savings on scale that they can make they, they and certainly social networks only work if all your friends are also on it so there, there is a limited marketplace for them um, John I wonder how much of this is about how what types of power we see as natural and what types of power we see as unnatural so if we see a, a company that lays off loads of its workers or something comes from the top down that seems quite that seems sort of the natural order of things doesn't it but there is an almost kind of non-rational emotional reaction to the thought of workers holding bosses to ransom perhaps because we see it so rarely now I think that's certainly a, a part of it I think there's also an element of snobbery going on here there's people you know, don't think of tube drivers as you know the 
the producers or you know the particularly sort of impressive people in capitalism they they see them as sort of low level functionaries and are therefore a bit baffled why they should be earning quite significantly above the average wage you see a lot of rage during tube uh, tube strikes where people are basically saying well i don't earn that much and to which the obvious riposte, as Stephen says, is, yeah, but you can't bring an entire city to a halt. That's why you don't earn that much. It's got nothing to do with your actual skills. It's just you don't have that much power in the market. And, I mean, how much pushback has there been? I mean, I know both of you have written about this subject. Is it something that gets people very angry in the opposite direction? I've actually... I've been surprised by how little pushback there's been, actually. I mean, as you say, both Stephen and I wrote articles that basically had the subheading Stop Whining. Um... And depressingly, not many people have been whining. Everyone's being quite stoical. I'm seeing a lot of people um, smugly saying they're working from home and watching the cricket, um, which which totally wrecks our entire thesis, to be honest. But you know, you can't have everything. Yeah, actually, the interesting thing is, with a sort of couple, with the exception of, sort of some diehard people who think that they're having an argument about the free market, most people have gone, yeah, right. I got a, an email today which thinks I'm up for They said, well, it's like my landlord. I don't like them. They're saying I'd like you to pay an extra five percent this year for no apparent reason. But equally, they they know I've had a raise, so they know I can afford it, and so they're going, they'd like a bit more money, please. Um, I, I also think people probably don't think that much about quite how unpleasant a job driving a tube train actually is in that you know it's 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 shift work it starts really early or really late depending on which schedule you're on you're stuck in a small metal box all day you can't talk to anyone you can't get distracted you have to concentrate um and on certain lines you you don't see daylight it's not actually a pleasant thing to be doing with your time well there's also a kind of argument which is that if it were that you know what go and become a tube driver then i mean i know she's a kind of stupid reductive argument you can't it's actually quite difficult to do because go work your way up yeah well they've, they've structured the workforce in such a way that it's effectively a reward so you spend you know 10 years uh, manning a station and getting all sorts of abuse for 20 grand a year or something and then gradually you work your way up the ranks and and then you get the 50k job. I mean the argument that lots of people make which is is one of those things where it's an interesting example of how you can be absolutely correct while being completely wrong um, where people say well they're only hastening the arrival of driverless trains as well Ultimately, machines are going to replace pretty much all of us. Yeah, the second that you can find a robot which can do little epigrams about uh, the internal politics of the left, I am out the door. Uh, the difference is, is they will have extracted. She's going to get a Twitter yeah. bot. This yeah. is probably quite soon. Actually. Extracted the maximum value from their services before they become obsolete, and they haven't made that. That process will not have got any faster by a day because they will pay a little bit more money until they get replaced. Also, we will still probably have tube strikes. I mean, one of the things that's kind of got elided in all the conversations about this, in, including this one, is it's not just the drivers on strike. It's, it's every grade of tube, strike, uh, of tube staff voted for industrial action. And that includes the people who man the stations or, 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 or that kind of thing. Um, but this is quite important, isn't it? Because kind of we very we it, it comes from the fact that we see strikes much more rarely now than mm. you know perhaps in the seventies or eighties, and the Tories are currently trying to make it harder, aren't they, to to strike? That strike law is 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 chugging its way through. Stephen, am I right in saying? Yeah, although I mean, the the thing about the strike law is it actually wouldn't wouldn't have affected this strike at all, they cleared 50% quite comfortably. I mean, I, I am actually... the. There are reasons why I'm uncomfortable about it and that I don't think the government should regulate protest except where it's dangerous. 
and effectively striking as a form of protest. But actually, effective unions can clear 50% in strike ballots quite easily. Um, it's one of those things, I don't think the government should do it, but if it's an existential threat to your right to strike, you have bigger problems as, a, as, a, as an organised labour movement. And you can write in at Stephen Dogg. <laughs> um, well, the other great thing is, of course, that we're all much fitter as a result of the tube strike, having taken a variety of, of lovely um, overground routes to work. So isn't that, a, isn't that a beautiful gift that the strikers have given us, John? <laughs> yes, it's, it's, but it, it, I mean, that's kind of fine for those of us who live within sort of three or four miles of the office, but it's not quite as useful if you live out in Zone 6. I don't think there are many people who are walking in from West Ryslip today. And um, that's what is wrong with Britain today. <laughs> that that does explain the, the growing obesity crisis, certainly. It's, 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 it's people in Zone 6 sitting on their fat asses all day. <laughs> but there's a weird thing, isn't there, that you're, you're fine if you live very close to work, but also if you live sufficiently far out that you needed a, a, a rail, an overground rail network, if you live on the First Capital Connect or something like that. It's the people in the middle who have been stuffed by this, I guess. Although what I'm perplexed by Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So I live in Hackney where there are no tubes. And yet, every tube strike, there are these, these mysterious people who um, get on the bus. Thousands of them. There, were, there, were, there, were, there was a queue at my bus station in Stoke Newington. Where had these people come from? There is no alternative service they could have been using to go the direction they were going. The ones who are coming from Seven Sisters, I understand, but the urge to come up to these randoms and go, where have you come from? Yeah, they're, prob- they're probably people who normally walk to Manor House Tube and get the Piccadilly line. I think this just tells us you have such a sort of Stoke Newington bubble that you don't get beyond Church Street to notice there is a Tube station about a 15-minute walk away. He's too distracted by artisan bread. He didn't spend enough time reading City Metric, but (laughs) well, for all your um, tube maps overlaid on other maps needs, (laughs) visit citymetric.com. For the moment, thank you very much to John and Stephen. Well, the Labour leadership, the ballots are nearly ready to drop. Have you ever been so excited in your life? I'm joined by Anusha Kalian and Stephen Bush to talk about the latest twists and turns in a very unpredictable contest. Stephen, I'm going to start with you because after, I guess, two solid weeks of Corbyn mania, corgasm, um, we've now had Andy Burnham stating a fight back. I'm guessing off the back of the fact that Yvette Cooper got the endorsement of Alan Johnson, which was a pretty good one to get as they go. And, and Andy Burnham kind of feels that there's a scrap to be the stop Corbyn candidate and it wasn't beginning to look like him. So he's now fought back with uh, policies on scrapping tuition fees and renationalising the railways. Is it working? Um, no, I mean, there's that famous phrase, uh, your manuscript is both good and original, the problem is the parts which are original are not good and the parts which are good are not original. It is basically Ed Miliband's 2015 manifesto and then some kind of ropey ideas which are halfway between sort of Burnham at the start of the race and Corbyn now. Um, so tuition fees to be scrapped and replaced with a graduate tax. Um, councils to be given the power to borrow to build. Yeah, and there is some, some good stuff in there, but um, ultimately it's just... 
I don't really see what Burnham's strategy with it is because Yvette Cooper is doing something very clever now, which is she's running a fear campaign, basically. She's getting proxies out to go, I was alive during the 80s, we lost election after election, the Tories destroyed large parts of the country, it was awful. Because a lot of the, not all Corbyn supporters, but in reality she only needs to get two points off Jeremy Corbyn to beat him. So what she's trying to do is she's trying to target those young voters who've just joined the party, who aren't that politically well-informed, because yeah, they weren't around in the 80s, and she's literally doing this drip, drip, drip of interventions where people go, the 80s were awful. Isn't the problem with that Burnham strategy that, although you might say that if if people want a, a left wing solution, there's a very good one. It's a kind of you know, it's the you can't out UKIP UKIP problem, right? You can just end up in a kind of Dutch auction on immigration. Where if people really feel incredibly strongly about immigration, there is a very strongly anti-immigration party for them to go to. So my worry about that as a strategy for Burnham, and I don't want you to think about this, Anoush, is that you end up looking like a pale imitation of you know, an option that is already on the table that people might go for. Yeah, exactly. I think the Andy Burnham trying to be the stop Corbyn candidate is problematic because if Corbyn wasn't in the race, all of those supporters who are supporting Corbyn would be Andy Burnham's supporters and he would have got the Unite endorsement as well. Um, so I think that that's quite unconvincing and he's taken it, you're right, in, in the least logical direction by trying to be to the left of the other candidates. But if you're going to vote for a candidate who's to the left of Yvette Cooper and Liz Kendall, then you're going to vote for, for Jeremy Corbyn. So it is quite unconvincing. Although is it a... I mean, I know, Stephen, you're obsessed. I wouldn't say obsessed, that's a rude word. But you're certainly very alive to the possibility that single transferable vote throws up unpredictable outcomes. Is it enough to be anti-Burnham and go for second preferences of Corbyn supporters? I don't think so, because I don't think Jeremy Corbyn is not going to be in the final round. I think... So just to explain it, so what happens is you have four candidates and then the person with the lowest share of the vote gets knocked out first. Their votes get redistributed and on and on and on. So the final round is a runoff between two people. Yeah, it's a runoff between two candidates uh, or, you know, depending on how well someone does. I mean, so let's say Jeremy Corbyn got 45%, Liz Kendall got 10% and he got 6% of Liz Kendall's supporters, then you wouldn't go through the rest of the run because he already hit 51%. That is highly unlikely to happen, though. Um... Yeah, so there are some questions about... So Liz Kendall is definitely going to come forth, forth, it looks like, unless all of the polls, all of the CLP nominations, every conversation anyone has had with a Labour member turns out to be completely wrong. So Liz will go out first, which means her her preferences, will they, don't, they will automatically reassign. The interesting thing is, if you look at the CLP nominations, there are more second preferences for Corbyn for if Burnham goes out. It looks likely like Burnham will go out in the third round, so it will be a Cooper-Corbyn showdown. I'm not convinced there are quite enough second preferences for Yvette Cooper within Burnham's sort of vote share. Of course, the flip side of that is every vote Burnham loses is probably to Corbyn anyway, so, yeah. Yeah, it's very hard for Corbyn not to win, I think. What we've learned here is that single transferable vote is maybe not the best system because very few people understand it for a start even Labour voters I think you know we've been tracking in the office how many people have said things like you know um, Liz Kendall should drop out to help the other candidates and things like that that are based on a misunderstanding of of how the system works Um, don't you think there is a case Anoush for adopting a model closer to the one that the Tories use which is the, the parliamentary party put forward two candidates and the membership then just decide between have a straight choice and take the unpredictability out you know you know you're voting for one person or the other 
Yeah, and that puts um, far more influence, that gives the parliamentary party far more influence than they have in this election now, um, which I, I mean, I personally think that that would be a good thing because I think the membership of the Labour Party is skewing what's popular among the electorate. Um, so they're all going for Corbyn, whereas I don't think he would be the electorate's first choice. Whereas I think the MPs in the parliamentary party, although they are, there is this new intake, which is more left wing than the existing intake we had before the general election. Um, I think they represent more actually what the country is thinking than what their party is thinking in this bizarre situation. Well, let's, um, I'm sure we'll have time to return to this before the uh, final victory is announced in September. So for the moment, I'll say thank you, Stephen and Anoush. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast presented by me, Helen Lewis, and produced by Anna Leskovitz. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Mm-hmm.